I'm going to talk about renewing our prayer life. That's a serious renewing. Say that with me, renewing my prayer life. That's the new series for the month, renewing. Say it again, renewing my prayer life. Now, you know, when you talk about prayer, people think you're going, it's going to be boring. Oh, no, I don't have no boring messages. Hallelujah. Uh, we want to talk about, as a subtopic, building a prayer life. Say it with me, building my prayer life. If we're going to build the house of God, a lot of people talk about building the house of God, but the only way that you're going to really do that, first of all, you've got to have a bonafide prayer life. Prayer has got to be the, uh, on the forefront of everything that we do. Why? Because that's the way that we consult God. Amen. We talk to God. We ask God, should we go this way? Should we go left? Should we go right? Should we go this direction? What should we do? And we do that in the way of prayer. For the Christians, praying really should be like breathing. And just as breathing is the response of physical life to the presence of air, so prayer should be the response of spiritual life to the presence of God. In other words, prayer is as important for our spiritual life as air is for our physical life. I don't want you to miss that. Jot that point down. Matter of fact, that should be in your notes right now. If you have the notes, if you downloaded the app, you should see that in uh, your notes right there. And I'm going to need my, 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 my people back in the back to keep up with me. So prayer is as important for our spiritual life as air is for our physical life. It's just important. You, you with me now? Yeah. Martin Luther said about his need of prayer, and this was, I thought this was very, very important. It was really just an eye-opener for me. He said, I have so much to do that I must spend the first three hours of each day in prayer. <laughs> That's what Martin Luther said. However, if he knew his day would be even more demanding than usual, he would uh, make sure that he would spend more time in prayer before getting started. Now, it's about to get real quiet in here, like it already is. Because most of us, including your pastor, we don't spend more time in prayer during the day than we do everything else we do during the day. Now, would I be on it when I say that? So here's the thing that we must know, and this is why the enemy fight us so much. Prayer changes us. Prayer changes situations. It changes circumstances. It changes people. So it changes our perspective and give us a clear picture of this world we live in. And that's because God is the creator and knows a whole lot more about it than we do. So further, it says that if Christians spent as much time praying as they do grumbling, 
they would soon have nothing to grumble about. And most of us, however, struggle with our prayer life. Is that right? We struggle with our prayer life. We do. And sometimes our prayer time is, in prayer is glorious like what happened to the woman who had the issue of blood and was able to reach out and touch the hem of Jesus' garment. And that is, in our prayer time, in our time of prayer, we're able to touch God. And the enemy fights our prayer life. He makes us get uh, quiet doing prayer. He makes us get sleepy doing prayer. He makes us forget about prayer. Oh, I forgot to pray. But prayer is the most important thing that a, a believer has in his or her life. Let me let you in on something. You got some people you want to get rid of. Tell them to come pray with you. You got some folk that don't like it. Invite them to your prayer meeting and pray for a good hour. <laughs> you ain't got to fight with your enemy. Just invite them to prayer. Oh, help us all. Other time, most often than we would like to admit, we're more like Zacchaeus, pushing and shoving through our crowded thoughts and the busyness of life. Only to find out that our time with God has been crowded out by all the other stuff. And so we become discouraged with our prayer life and it becomes more of an afterthought than a necessity. Because we're so busy with other stuff. Pastor John Powell began his message on prayer with this disclaimer. He said, what I'm about to say to you represents my idea. Here it is. I put it in your notes for you. Maybe the reason we don't take the time to pray is as we should is because we either don't see its use because we haven't received what we prayed for or we deny the power of prayer. There was a story about a tavern that was uh, being built in a small town, town and the Christians from the church opposed it and began an all-night prayer meeting for uh, God to intervene and stop the building of the tavern. And so that night, lightning struck the tavern and burnt it down to the ground. And so the owner of the tavern sued the church claiming they were responsible. And so the church hired a lawyer to claim that they were not responsible. But after both sides represented the arguments, the judge said, no matter how this case comes out, one thing is clear, that the tavern owner believes in prayer and the Christians don't. So my question for you is, what is prayer? John Powell said that they, they say that every relationship is a, as good as its communication. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I think that's true in our relationship with God, too. Our relationship with God is about as good as our communication with God. 
And this communication is called prayer. Folks think they got a good relationship with God. But I can you can tell how, how good a relationship they got with God by their time in prayer. How can I say I got a good relationship with First Lady and I don't have a good communications with her? My communication is shot. It's closed. I can't have a good relationship minus uh, communication with her. That's one of the top things when you go to counseling that they have problems with. Communication is one of them. Amen? They call them the different C's. The caring is another. Right? Cash might be one of them too. So, but. <laughs> All right. So prayer is our line of communication with God, right? Where we talk with God and God talks with us. That's a good definition for you right there. That is our prayer. Prayer is a line of communication with God. So when was the last time you communicated with God? All right? Now watch this. Prayer is not a one-sided communication that we have with God. It is listening more than talking. So a lot of times we get down, we talk, 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 and we get up and we don't listen to what God has to say. God said, you done talking? Now let me talk. So the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 5 and 2, it's up on your screen if you don't get it, so I'm going to move through them. Do not be rash with your mouth and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. Y'all got that? For God is in heaven and you on earth, therefore let your words be few. So prayer, therefore, is something God expects from his people. What did I just say? He expects it from his people, right? So let's say that Jesus personally appeared to us and said that he wanted us to pray. Now, while I'm not a better man, I will wager that we'd be more inclined and faithful in our prayer life if Jesus told us, hey, I'm expecting you to pray. But we don't really need Jesus to come down and tell us, right? Because he already has in his word. Throughout the gospel, he says, when you pray. So that means he expects us to pray. He said, when you pray. Come on, say, say that when you pray. When you say when you pray, he's expecting you to pray, right? He, he said when you pray and the disciples, the disciples' prayer or uh, what is most commonly known as the Lord's prayer, he said this is how you pray. So he said when and this is how. So he's expecting his believer, the saints of God, the disciples to pray. Jesus also said to his disciples, to always pray. And prayer was the subject of several of the parables Jesus taught. Jesus, therefore, has already requested our presence in prayer. Elsewhere in the New Testament, uh, we are also commanded to pray. Colossians 4 and 2 says, continue earnestly, how? In prayer. Being vigilant in, in it with thanksgiving. So to continue earnestly means to be busily engaged in, to be devoted, to persevere. You got to stick with it. Got to have some stick to it. You got to find yourself 
praying. And when we are devoted to something, we make it a priority, giving it the necessary time to see it, it's accomplished. Therefore, Paul is saying that prayer is to be a priority in our lives. And as such, we are to give our all to prayer. Now, here it is. We need to learn how to remember scripture. We're going to remember at least one today. Here it is right here. First Thessalonians 5 and 17. Say this with me. Pray without ceasing. Now you just learned the verse of scripture. First Thessalonians 5 and 17 says pray without ceasing. If somebody asks you what scripture you learned today, I learned First Thessalonians 5 and 17. Pray without ceasing. You can learn scripture. Scripture say, pray without ceasing. Well, how can I do that? Ceasing means stop. Well, you don't have to close your eyes to, to, to pray. Because some folks think they got to close their eyes in order to pray. You can be praying while you're driving your car. I remember my mama, she used to be fasting. And, and, and praying while she was cooking our food. She didn't even have to taste it. She, was, she got so good at it, she just cooked while she fasted and, 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 and praying and, and singing all at the same time while she cooking the food. So you can pray anytime. You can be at the, 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 at the railroad stop there and pray. Amen. Anytime is a good time to pray. You can go to your throne room. You know what that is, right? You can be in there. there. Why are you in there so long? Come on out there. I'm praying. I'm getting a revelation from God. <laughs> Somebody say, what is he talking about? They'll tell you. So Paul says that praying without ceasing alone with always rejoicing and giving thanks and everything is God's will for our lives. So we are therefore to pray continually which is an expression of our unbroken relationship with God. It's never losing our awareness of God no matter what we're doing or what is going on in our lives. And these verses are commanded in the Greek language that the writer of Hebrews make our time in prayer into an invitation Look what it says in Hebrew 4 and 16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find what? Grace to help in the time of need. And as life, as we do life, we're going to have times of need. Some of y'all had times of need this week. You're going to have time to need tomorrow. So we got to come before the throne of grace. Because all of us in here have needs. So this word boldly in the Greek language means with all speech. Say that with me, with all speech. So you got to do this boldly with all speech. And so we are invited to the very throne room of God to talk directly with him. Donald Whitney in his book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, says, he says, we can be prayer pessimists and see the expectation of prayer merely as an obligation. Or we can be optimists 
who view the command to prayer as an opportunity to receive the mercy and grace of God. So we also doubt prayer's effectiveness. And see, that's the problem. That's why we got to build prayer because of how we think now, uh, because how we've been pressed, how we've been uh, uh, dealt with. Even during the pandemic, our prayer, we, we doubt the effectiveness because we saw what was going on around us. Are you following me? And oftentimes we say, all I can do is pray for you. See, you saying that in the wrong tune. You said it in the wrong texture. You're saying that in the wrong feeling, the wrong emotion. Prayer is not the least, but it's the greatest thing we can do for someone. So don't ever let me hear you say, all I can do is pray for you. Like prayer is just, you know, something that's, you know, meaningless, uh, uh, something that's, you know, frivolous. Uh, you just it throw it. Well, I leave, uh, all I can do is, no, uh-uh, uh-uh. Prayer's not the least. Now look at somebody and say, prayer's not the least. Look at them and say that, but prayer's the greatest thing that I can do for you and you can do for me. But that still doesn't answer the question as to why people consider it to be ineffective. The Bible, however, tells us the main reason our prayers go unanswered. It is because of the wrong motives on our part. That's why a lot of times our prayer not answered because of wrong motives. Oh, God, I thank you for this teaching. I'm learning. Look what James 4 and 3 says. You ask and do not receive. Because you ask amiss. That you may spend it on your pleasures. So as a whole, the reason we feel like prayer is ineffective is because we have downgraded prayer to feelings and emotions. You don't pray because, you're, well, I didn't feel like it this morning, so I didn't pray. You didn't pray, well, I just knew you were going to answer, so I ain't saying nothing. You already defeated before you open your mouth. You don't pray because of whether you feel God going to answer or not. And you don't pray because God didn't seem like he going to come on time when you want him on time. You pray because you know that God is the answer. And whatever answer he gives, I'm willing to accept the answer. Man, we know how to do everything else in church except for pray. Now, we got it down. We got the hand clap down. We got the dance down. We got the songs down. We got the rhythm down. We got all that down. We got the cry down. We got the shout down. We got the jerk down. We got the shake down. But we just don't have the prayer down. We got the break down. We got the boogaloo down. We got the, all the downs, but we don't have the prayer down. Out of all the downs, we need to have the prayer down. We even got the scriptures down. We know how to talk. We know how to, yeah, we know how to say it. Amen. We know how to look spiritual, dress spiritual, act spiritual. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. We got it all down. We got the language down, but we just don't have the prayer down. It's time to get this prayer together now. 
It's time to get it together. We have degraded and low-rated prayer until many of us just don't even do it. Matter of fact, it's not even a thing that comes to our mind. We can see something happen, and the, the, the immediate thing that we should do is say, all right, y'all, let's pray. Let's go into prayer about it. We'll see something happen. We'll be like, oh, that's a shame. Look at that there. That's a, ooh, that's a scandal and a shame. What's going on in this world? I tell you what. Oh, my God. Proud and in into your mind nowhere in that situation? Forgive us, Lord. I know what it is. You, but, you know, hallelujah. I don't know if I can say, I, I was going your butt just so nosy, hallelujah. <laughs> you're, you're just nosy. Until God said, uh-uh, uh-uh, that's not your business, just pray. Because whatever I want you to know, I'm going to let you know it. But right now, your job is to pray. Hallelujah. Someone said it this way, it says, when our awareness of the greatness of God and the gospel is dim, our prayer lives will be small. And the less we think of the nature and the character of God, the less we are reminded of what Jesus did for us on the cross, the less we want to pray. And so this need for prayer and to learn how to pray was the key on the minds of Jesus' disciples when they asked him, watch this, what did they ask him? They asked him, Elder, teach us to pray. Isn't that something? Dr. First Lady, they said, teach us to pray. If Jesus was on the scene this morning and the disciples were here and they say, teach us to pray, I don't know how many of us would stand up and say, hey, Lord, teach us to pray. We'd be running up to him and say, hey, hey, Doc, I always wanted this new car. Listen, I, I, I want you to, I, I got this house I need you to pay off. No, no, they didn't think about none of that. See, why would Jesus ask, why was he asked that? Why would they ask Jesus, teach us how to pray or teach us to pray? I mean, they, they, they saw him walk on the water. They saw him feed tens of thousands of people with a couple of loaves of bread and a few fish. They saw him heal the blind and the mute and the lame and the leopard and, and, and the demon possessed. They saw his teachings uh, captivate the crowds and confound the religious leaders of that day. Yet they never asked how to do a miracle or how to teach or to preach or rather how to preach pray that's all they asked him how to pray Jesus teach me how to teach better teach me how to you know woo the crowd teach me how to speak the Hebrew and the Greek that none of that they said teach us how to pray now we want to learn a trade we don't ask someone who don't know nothing about it. Brother, we ask the person that, that, you know, who's the best at it, right? If we want to learn how to play basketball, we don't ask somebody that don't know how to dribble and walk at the same time. Right? 
We, we ask to be taught by a basketball player or a coach. And if you want to know how to be a successful investor, you don't want you don't ask somebody that spend everything that they get in their hands to how to invest your money. You ask the person that has the experience in investing. And if you want to know how to pray, you ask the person that's the master at praying. Which would be Jesus. So prayer was a vital part of Jesus' life. And if Jesus felt that prayer was so important that he spent hours praying, then his disciples knew that it was important for them as well. Jesus, knowing the extreme importance of prayer, took the time to teach his disciples about prayer and how believers ought to pray. So let's look at it together. You ready? You ready? I hope you're still awake. You done shouted and everything. Matthew 6. Matthew 6, verse 9. Look at it. It says, in this manner, therefore, pray, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Y'all there? Give us this day our what? Daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive, watch this, men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive who? You. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. So prior to giving them this prayer, Jesus knew of the possible misuse of his instruction. So he began to giving several warnings concerning prayer life. Are you ready? Warning, the first warning is, A, prayer should not be hypocritical. Matthew 6 and 5 says, And when you pray, you shall not be like who? The hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Y'all see that? So the word hypocrite in the Greek language was used to describe actors. They played a part which was not who they were in reality. They were what we call pretenders. Everybody that looked like they anointed in prayer is not praying to God. So he said when it comes to prayer, he warning, don't be hypocritical then. There are people who can pray real good, but they're not going to do nothing they just prayed about. So Jesus is saying that prayer is not something we do to impress people. Listen to me, leaders. You don't pray to impress. Deep, you sure prayed that prayer. Father, I like when you say that, Father. <laughs> you don't pray to impress people. Rather, it was to come from a humble heart as we approach the sovereign and almighty God. And now Jesus was not against public prayer, but just insincere prayer. So here's another warning. 
Prayer should not be repetitious. Matthew 6 and 7. Y'all learning something? And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. That's because you're saying a whole lot of words. You're saying a whole lot of nothing. Say, what, what that word he used in prayer? He just did that to just impress you. Jesus said, you're saying a whole lot of nothing. So vain repetition literally means to babble. That is to talk without thought. It is a warning against meaningless repetition, thinking that the length of a prayer is more effective with God. Now, God wants you to pray. Jesus prayed for hours. But it's not really about the length of prayer. It's about your heart in the prayer. It's about your spirit in the prayer. Some people can pray first lady and they got a bad spirit. You can tell in their prayer they're throwing off on people. Hallelujah. And so Jesus then gave them a model prayer. One by which they were to formulate their own prayers. So Jesus said, and we just said read it, in this manner therefore pray. He did not say use these words. He said in this manner. Jesus is given a pattern by, but to be followed, not in an inflexible form to be kept. It is an outline that we can model our prayer life after. So what I find interesting is that when we take time to look at prayer this way, what we will find is that it is more about the spirit in which we ought to pray than it is the words in which we use. You still following along? You got the notes? So the spirit by which we are to pray with is an unselfish spirit, a loyal and submissive spirit, a spirit of reverence and awe, a humble spirit, and a spirit that is holy and totally dependent on God. Now in the prayer that Jesus taught, we see two distinct parts in prayer. Number one, acknowledgement of God's holiness and sovereignty. How do we know that? Matthew 6, verse 9 and 10. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You got to acknowledge who God is, his holiness, his sovereignty. That's how you start your prayer. If you start off recognizing who God is, you give him all the glory, the honor, and the praise. You put him first in your prayer. You acknowledge what he's doing, what he will do. You acknowledge God. That's the first thing you do. You don't start off by saying, God, give me some money. Using the word term, father for God, was not the normal way of dressing God during that time. They would use the various names of God, but not the one which of such intimate said. And maybe the reason was because they never knew God intimately as father. Jesus confirmed that when he would, the, the religious leaders that they were to, uh, of their father, the devil, that's what he confirmed. Not everyone can call upon God as their father. Because Jesus said, you are of your father, the devil. So everybody calling father, which one you talking about? And for many, therefore, the use of father is a title and has nothing to do with a relationship. That's why they can get down on the father, down on my bending knees. 
asking you to come on in and stop by here to see your lowly servant. Please, Master, we thank you today. And they'll do that every Sunday. And go out there and drink like a fish and smoke like a chimney at my God. And then say that a gift to every single woman in the church. The deacon got three, four babies from five. <laughs> you better help me here. And every Sunday he died. Ah, Jesus. Then he got the nerve to put his hand behind it. Just showmanship, just showmanship, just showmanship. <laughs> and so Jesus goes on to say, hallowed be your name. So the word hallowed means to set apart. Y'all got that? It means to make his name holy and sacred in our lives. What we're praying for is for God to set apart himself and his name in our lives. The last Psalm of David, Psalm 146 through 150, our Psalms of praise as they all begin. Look how they begin. Praise the Lord. You always put God first. David had sense enough. That's why he said David is a man after my own heart because he had sense enough to always put God first. Even though he had devilment, he got devilment he was in. But he always put God first. And the key to our praise is that it should be in God alone and not in anything else. The reason why some churches can't praise God is because they're looking for other things first. No, you put God first and the other stuff will come, uh, to, uh, come in your life. <laughs> Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto your life. If you want to see a blessed life, look at a praiser's life. I don't know about you, but the rest of this year, I'm going to praise God like I'm going crazy. I'm going to praise God. I'm going to holler God. I'm going to praise it like it's going out of style because I'm going to put God first and you watch how God add to my life. I got some witnesses in here and I got some people in here that going to come along with me that you're going to put God first in your praise life and you're going to see God add things unto your life. And if it's not the truth, then that means God is a liar. But we know that God is not a liar. If you would just put God first, praise him first. What did he tell the women, widow woman who was going through? I want you to make me a cake first. It was a method to his madness. He was letting her know that if you will put the things of God first and my, your, your life, it would never run out. You always have blessings flowing in your life. Don't you apologize for your praise because when people see that God got things flowing in your life, you ought to praise him some more. Can I prophesy to somebody in here the things, the other things that people are dying from? You're going to live through it. You're going to live with it. You're going to live all around it. And it shall not come nigh thee. A thousand shall fall at thy side. Ten thousand at their right hand. But it shall not come nigh you. Whatever it, how long it took them to get healed, it's going to take you a less amount of time. Would you tap somebody next to you and tell them, say, if God be for you, 
who can be against you? Hallelujah. I'll take my chances with God. I'll take, hey, I'll take my, hey, I'll take my life walking with God, not knowing what God is going to do, but my faith shall take me there. I might have tears in my eyes. I might have to fight through my tears. I might have to, my God, fight through my fear. But I'm telling you that God's got me. Now, you done took all a lot of things from me. You're not about to take my prayer life from me. You're not about to take my praise from me. I ain't got much left, but you ain't taking my praise, and you ain't taking my prayer life, because that's my connection. Look at somebody say, he ain't taking that. He ain't taking my prayer life, and he ain't taking my praise life. Hallelujah. And I mean that. Look at him and say, I mean that. I mean that thing. So look what he says in Psalm 148. Let them praise the name. Oh, God, I thank you. For his name alone, what? Look at there. Is what? Exalted. And his glory is above earth and heaven. Why would you want to stop giving God the praise? Huh? When you read that scripture, why would you want to ever stop giving God the praise? Our praise should be in God and God alone and nothing that man can devise. Uh, this is brought out uh, earlier in Psalm 146 and 3. Look what it says. It says, do not trust in princes in mortal man in whom there is no salvation. His spirit departs. He returns to earth. And then that very day, his thoughts perish. So you shouldn't put nothing in man. You don't put no uh, trust in this flesh. Don't let nothing glory in this flesh. Because it's going back to the dust. No matter what man devises, his sciences or his philosophies, they, 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 they don't last and they don't, they don't stand the test of time. Only in God, in our salvation and eternity, is in, in eternity found. And next, we acknowledge his sovereignty by asking God to help us align ourselves to his plan and his purposes. Look what he says. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's already done in heaven. God do it on the earth. And this was at the heart of Jesus' prayer life. Even at the garden of Gethsemane, knowing that the death from the cross awaited him, where he would take upon himself our sins. Jesus prayed this. He said, not my will, but your will be done. And so what we're saying is that we want God's purpose to be fulfilled in and in, in and through our lives. It is where we say to God, let my desire be filled, uh, be in full agreement with your word. Got it? Not the other way around where his word fulfills our desires. I want you to highlight that one now. And so here is the question we need to ask. If this is the heart of our prayer life, 
that God's name and thus God's himself be set apart in our lives, that the Father would be our Father and that his will would be done and in and through our lives. Do our lives reflect that? Are we living our lives in such a way that God's holy name is honored? And that we are moving forward in his will rather than our own. And I submit to you, most of us get sidetracked. We get derailed and we start thinking about our own desires. We start thinking about our own will, what we want to happen in our life, what I got to obtain and what I got to get. I ain't got time. All I got time to do is build myself and build my business and build this and build that. Well, why are you building yourself and building your business? Won't you include God? Secondly, bring our petitions before God. That's what he requires of us to bring our petition. Do these three parts and I'm going to sit down. The three parts. A, provision. Everybody shout provision. provision. I don't know about you, but I need provision for the vision that God has given me. Yeah. Say that with me. I need provision, I need provision. for the vision, for the vision. That, God that God has given me. Listen, I'm telling you that, hey, we got to bring our petitions before God. Our children bring out their petition before us. They don't even worry about whether we're going to get the money or not. They don't worry about whether we got a job or not. They don't worry about whether, you know, I don't know where mama work. I don't know where daddy work. I don't know where they just go and they come. We don't worry about nothing. They just know that they're going to have some provision. And God wants us to be just like a little child where we don't worry about nothing. We know that God is going to provide it. We don't worry about how these gas prices are going up. We're going to still drive. We don't care how the groceries are going up. We're going to still eat food. We don't care about what they, they you know, hey, they take it up. My garbage drop. They take it up. Hey, God going to give you the money that you'll be able to go ahead and pay it. You don't have to grumble. You don't have to complain. You start shouting because God gives you the provision in order to meet the vision. Are y'all hearing me up in here? I don't care how high these gas, these cars are and these, these houses are. God going to build one for you. He going to make one for you. You going to have enough, my God. You're going to be able to come to church like you want to come to church. You're going to be able to feed your children like you need your grandchildren. Everybody in your whole, in your house going to be, matter of fact, you just go through the whole house and say, I declare the whole house blessed. I don't care what God going to provide for this household. We going to have provision. God give us this day our daily bread. Look at somebody. I don't care if they don't mind you. They won't, don't want you to look at them. Look at them and say, God provides for me daily. Look at them with your game face like you got an attitude and say, God provides for me daily. I don't know who's providing for you, but God provides for me daily. I don't worry about nothing from day to day. I need God to help me sleep. I don't need no pills to help me sleep. I need God to help me sleep. I need God to help me walk. I need God to help me go to the bathroom. I need God to help me to open my eyes. I need God to open my mouth so I can talk. I need God. I got to put him first. Anybody here need God?
what if he didn't let your fingers work in the morning? What if we didn't have no fingers? Won't be no tapping on nothing over here. How you going to play drums? You ain't got no fingers. Huh? How you, how you, how you going to play the keyboard? You ain't got no fingers. You're going to you gonna learn how to do it a different way. Amen. I got to tape them sticks up on your arm, I guess. Huh? But thanks be to God, we don't have to do all that. We just thank him for our hands when we wake up. Don't you discount your hands. Don't you discount your feet. Your feet are more, they're so important. You want me to tell you how important your feet are? And I know y'all dog them. Y'all dog your feet like that. Man, the people, your feet be crying. If you take them shoes off right now, they'll be crying right now. But don't take them off. But I'm telling you right now, your feet are very important. Because you know why? Your feet take around the most important parts of your body around every day. It takes your heart around. It takes your brain, your head around. It takes your eyes around. Take your ears around. That big old head of yours, he takes it around. And it takes his little stomach around that y'all know y'all love to eat. It takes this stomach around every day. Your feet, and then it don't give it, you don't give it no credit. Don't give it no honor. Don't massage them. Don't put no lotion on them. Don't clip them every night. They don't give them no honor. And it takes all your important parts of your body round every day. Everything above the ankles, your feet are taking it around every day. That's why you ought to testify with your feet every now and then. Say, God, you've been good. I thank you for blessing my life. Feet, I got to testify with my feet. Because if you know like I don't, you need God to keep you on your feet. You can't do nothing if you can't be on your feet. Can't do nothing laying down. Laying down is just only temporarily to get your body to recuperate and rest for a minute. But you're going to need your feet every day of your life. Come on, say, thank God for my feet. Look at somebody say, I'm going to do my feet a little better. Uh, I'm, I'm going to give them a little bit more glory, a little bit more tension. I'm going to, I'm going to, hey! Hallelujah! Now folk ain't going to see their feet the same. They're they going to be looking at their feet different way now. <laughs> Somebody shout provision! So bread represents the necessity of life that is what we are to live on. And so Jesus said that, that man shall not live on bread alone, but rather upon every word that proceeded from the mouth of God. And so now that this word daily is an interesting word because it's only used this one time in the New Testament. It has, however, been used quite a lot outside the Bible in the everyday life of the people. It was actually found in an old grocery store list during this time. And so the word was attached to perishable items. That is, get only enough for the day. It reminds us of God's provision back when Israel wandered 40 years in the wilderness. And so they were commanded by God to 
pick enough manna to use to be used for that day and for that day only. And when they took more, then it remained uh, turned uh, uh, putrid and, 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 and filled with maggots. Uh, because he said, I want you to only take enough for that day. And so Jesus is telling us that when we pray, uh, our prayers should be toward our needs, uh, not our greeds. Are you following me? You know, we, can, we have a tendency of being greedy. You know that, right? It's easy to be greedy. Talk to somebody and tell them, it's easy to be greedy. Amen. Everybody done been faced with greed. Especially when you're a child. You want to take everybody else's food. You know, I got them two grandboys that be there. That you got to watch them, boy. Both of them, they eat each other's food and have the other one hollering. <laughs> Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. you know, what, what happened? Who took it? I, I don't know. <laughs> so God's going to give us provision. It didn't be pardon. Everybody say pardon. Look at Matthew 6 and 12. Says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So debt is a Jewish metaphor for sin. Jesus is saying that just as we are asked for our daily necessities, we are likewise to ask God, uh, ask God to uh, daily forgive our sins. And so the Bible says that there is not a righteous person alive that hasn't sinned and hasn't fallen short of the glory that is, short of his holy and righteous standard for life. But what I would like for us to also see is that there is a link between the way we forgive others of their sins against us and the Father's forgiveness of our sin. There's a link. We are asking God to forgive us the same way we forgive others. Now, that's a scary thought, right? Have we forgiven others of their sins against us? If we want God to forgive us of our sins against him, then we have to forgive others of their sins against us. Right. Now, this same thought is carried on in what Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 6 and 14. For if we forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Passes. Do you see that? You know, this thing had been blown up with Chris Rock and, you know, and Will Smith. They just blew the thing, you know, up and everything else like that. And, you know, but what I came, you know, people called me to my bishop. What would you do if somebody came up while you were preaching? <laughs> And, 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 and slapped you like that. My first initial thing I said, I said, I don't want to be tested like that. That's what I initially said. Because I might snap. Then I have to repent. But here's the deal. I give all give great respect for Chris Rock. In afterthought, he did just what the scripture said. Do you know that since that event took place, that Chris Rock, all his shows are sold out? 
You can't even buy a ticket. He was more of the professional in the situation. And he did not respond like all of us Kushites probably thought that he should have responded. Because some of us would have failed that test. I'm telling you right now. But he was more of a professional and he kept the show going and going on. He didn't skip a beat. He showed how professional he was and the steal they got, the steal the show went on through and my God, it showed that he at the time, I don't know what he was thinking at that time, but he responded just like Jesus said to respond. He made Will look bad. Will thought he was making him look bad, but it turned out that Will was the one look bad. Now Will got second thoughts. He told my listen, I might need to change, and, and I want to just, you know, uh, disassociate myself from the Academy of the Oscars and all this other stuff, and yeah, 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 yeah. Now he got to go back and think about, oh, man, I should have thought twice. But, and then, my, matter of fact, you know now, wait now, they said that he responded off of something uh, that vibes that his wife was giving off. Because, you know, they tell me that she don't want him anyway. So that's what they tell me now. You know, that's what the, that's what the gossip say, that she don't want him anyway, but he's trying to impress her and all that kind of stuff. And he was all right. He was laughing <laughs> until he looked over at her and said, oh, that ain't funny, is it? Hey! Now you want to get all pumped up and everything and I want to show out. Now, you know, if I would have got up out of my seat, I just would believe that Veronica would say, hey, come back here. Sit yourself down. I believe she would have hollered out and said, where you going? You ain't got to worry about that. That's just talk. We can handle that after this is all over. That was a lesson for all of us believers who's got the hot head and think that you always got to fight about everything. Sometimes you got to let the Lord fight your battle. Because the hand that slapped you might be the hand that blessed you. He need to go there and shake Will's hand and say, man, you done made me rich. I got all sellout shows. Your hand that slapped you was the hand that blessed you. If he did have slow stop, it done went up uh -huh, 50 times more now. <laughs> and then we got to petition God for protection. Somebody shout protection. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You don't need to try to protect yourself all the time. Something, let God do it. Here we seeking God's protection from Satan and his demonic forces in times of trial and temptation when we are the most susceptible, when we are at our weakest. We need God. Anytime a virus attack and you cannot see this invisible attacker, you need God to intervene. You can't fight something that's invisible. You touch a knob, you done, my God. So you need God to fight when you cannot see how to fight. Are you following me? 
So not many of us think that this is a no-brainer prayer. All of us want to be delivered from Satan's clutches, and, 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 but not so much from his temptations. And so why is prayer not being uh, led into temptation hard for us? Why is it not being led into temptation hard for us? The reason is because we like to live on the edge where our hearts pound with both dread and excitement. We love to see how close we can get to the edge and, and really just stay with God and all that kind of stuff. So we enjoy our fantasies, our X-rated shows and our, you know, Harlem Quinn romance novels, which uh, is the PG version of an X-rated event. We love all that kind of stuff. Now a temptation is not a sin but that doesn't mean we are safe. Look at what the Apostle James says about where temptation leads us. Verse 14 of James chapter 1 be each one but each one but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his what? Own desires and enticed. Then when desires have conceived it gives birth to sin. See how this thing graduates? And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brother. And so we need to pray for God's protection. And I like the way Martin Luther says, we can keep the bird from flying over our head. We can't keep the bird from flying over our head, but we can keep them from putting a nest on top. Are you, are you hearing me? And so in my closing, uh, uh, and so all of us, can build lives into lives of prayer, which is not so much of a nicety as it is a necessity. For some of us, prayer is not the nicest thing. You mean tell me I got to sit there and wait and talk to God and then wait for him to talk back to me? I'm too impatient for all of that. You got to learn how to be patient and let God speak to you. And as we have seen, this isn't something that comes naturally, but it comes with practice. Prayer, say it with me, prayer, prayer. comes with practice. It don't come naturally. That's why you got to make yourself come to prayer. You got to push yourself to prayer. Some of you can make it noonday prayer. You just don't push enough. You can come for 30 minutes, 40 minutes, and then eat the other 20 minutes. Or someone will let you eat at your desk and let you go to prayer. If you tell them where you're going, they'll say, hey, you pray for me while you're going. You need to, you need to at least say, I'm, listen, you know, God, I don't do it every day, but at least one day out of the week, I'm going to press my way in prayer. Because I know it's a necessity. It might not be such a nice day, but it is a necessity for me. I need prayer. You know how it is. We was on, on vacation, and you know, like the Myra bring the boys, bring the boys coloring things and this and that, another, you know, the color on the, you know, to, so they can, you know, man, they got to harness all of that energy. Because if, if you don't bring them things that they can use constructively, they're going to be destructively. <laughs> they want to jump on you, they want to wrestle. That's why my arm's sore now, my arm hurting now. Hallelujah. <laughs> I have to go to the chiropractor or somebody. But anyway, uh, yeah, you know, so they, they, they're they coloring and everything like that. And, you know, little, little Eli, you know, of course, you know, uh, EJ is a little better than him. And he shows, uh, shows his little coloring. And we're like, oh, that's nice, EJ. That's really nice. And then here comes Eli. Look at mine. Look at mine. You know, he does. 
and everything like that. When he used to show it to us, and we said, oh, Eli, that is so nice. Oh, look what this baby done done, and everything like that. Now, we know that that coloring is out of the lines. It ain't inside the lines and everything else. But what do we do? We're encouraging him to keep on coloring until he gets better and better. The same way God does with us when we start praying. When we start praying, God said, oh, look at that prayer. We all out the line. They praying with nothing. But God said, oh, look at that prayer. That, ooh, that look at that baby prayer. He said, look at them good old prayer. But we get better and better and better until it gets where God said, all right now, let's go. Let's talk together. You talk to me, I'll talk back to you. You draw nigh to me, I'll draw nigh to you. You come close to me, I'll come closer to you. You come walking toward me, I'll come walking toward you. We get better at it just like our children get better at what they are doing and we are children of the most high and God said I want you to come talk to me more I know it's baby words I know it's jibby jibby right now but you're going to get better at it because you're going to practice it you're going to come to me we're going to talk together our conversation going to get better can you say amen that's why I look at little Eli's conversation better he's been in, been in school two years old at the academy here and his speech has gotten better he's making sentences at two years old I don't know too many two years old making sentences but he's making sentences he's getting better and better and better and you know what we do when our children know how to uh, uh, articulate and everything oh you're talking a little grown now well you want them to be able to carry on a conversation so they won't be taken can you say amen you want them to have something in their head so that they can be able to hold their own that's what God is saying with you I want you to come to prayer and talk to me so you'll be able to hold your own so you'll know where to tell the devil to get on and get off with you could tell the devil say not here no way no how because I'm talking to my God and my God said great is he that is in me than he that is in the world God said that he made me the head and not the tail I'm above and not beneath see you can start saying and talking like your daddy I want to get in prayer Sister Jasmine, I got to build my prayer life. I know this is the first go-round. This is the first Sunday. But we need to build our prayer life. Build it to a point where God said, hey, if I can count on anybody, I can count on them to pray. Don't you know that the saints are the ones that are keeping this world going? Don't you know that prayer is the integral part, the key ingredient that's keeping things as good as it is? If God is not hearing anything from earth to heaven, he's saying, okay, I guess it's time for me to close this thing down. But you know why he's giving more and more opportunity for other people to get saved? Because he's still receiving the incense of prayer coming to his nostrils and he's saying oh there's still hope because they're still praying down there they're talking to me I gotta talk back to them oh there's still hope all I need is a little bit of hope so we're gonna build our prayer life y'all listen to me real good I'm closing I'm I, ain't gonna call. I ain't gonna hoop today Maybe, maybe next week. I feel it, though. I feel it. I, you know, I'll be on vacation. I feel it, but I ain't going to hoop today. Listen. B 
building our prayer life is very important. Because this is what the enemy do. He knows that a lot of things only going to come through prayer. So what does he do? He tries to cut off our communication. If the communication is cut off, you'll never receive what God said. I'm going to bring it by, but I need you to meet me here because that's where it's going to be. But that passed you by because your communication was cut off. Anytime you want to defeat somebody's army, what do you do? You cut their communication off. Because they don't know if you're coming in the back, the east, the west, south. They don't know if they're enemy. They don't know if they're friends. That's why you get friendly fire. You cut that communication off. We can't afford to let the devil cut our communication off. Because when our communication is cut off, we don't know. God could be standing near and we don't even know it because the communication is cut off. We saying, oh, where are you, Lord? Lord said, I'm right here. And you saying, where are you, Lord? God said, I'm right here. Communication cut off. You don't know he's there because your communication cut off. But when the communication is there, you don't have to say, well, you don't say, God is right here by my side. Yes, Hallelujah. How you know? Because I talk to him. He walks with me. He talks with me. <laughs> Are you hearing me? So say this with me. I am going to take the time to build my prayer life. My prayer life is worth me building. I need a great prayer life. Put your hands together. Give God praise. Everybody standing. Everybody standing.